Letter thirty four of Pamela, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Julia Niedermeyer. Pamela, volume two, by Samuel Richardson. Letter thirty four. From Miss Darnford to Mrs. B. My dear Mrs. B., you have given us great pleasure in your accounts of your conversations and of the verses put so wickedly under your seat, and in your just observations on the lines and occasions. I am quite shocked when I think of Lady Davis's passionate attentions at the hall, but have let nobody into the worst of the matter in compliance with your desire. We are delighted with the account of your family management and your Sunday service. What an excellent lady you are! And how happy and good you make all who know you! is seen by the ladies joining in your evening service, as well as their domestics. We go on here swimmingly with our courtship. Never was there a fonder couple than Mr. Mary and Miss Nancy. The modest girl is quite alive, easy and pleased, except now and then with me. We had a sad falling out the other day. Thus it was. She had the assurance on my saying they were so fond and free beforehand, that they would leave nothing for improvement afterwards, to tell me she had long perceived that my envy was very disquieting to me. This she said before Mr. Murray, who had the good manners to retire, seeing a storm rising between us. "'Poor foolish girl!' cried I, when he was gone, provoked to great contempt by her expression before him. "'Thou wilt make me despise thee, in spite of my heart. But pray thee, Manage thy matters with common decency at least. Good luck. Common decency, did you say? When my sister Polly is able to show me what it is, I shall hope to be better for her example. No, thou'lt never be better for anybody's example. Thy ill-nature and perverseness will continue to keep thee from that. My ill-temper, you have often told me, is natural to me so it must become me. But upon such a sweet-tempered young lady as Miss Polly, her late-assumed petulance sits but ill. I must have had no bad temper, and that everyone says, to bear with thy sullen and perverse one, as I have done all my life. But why can't you bear with it a little longer, sister? Does anything provoke you now? With a sly leer and affected troll, that did not formerly... Provoke me! What should provoke me? I gave thee but a hint of thy fond folly, which makes thee behave so before company, that every one smiles at thee, and I'd be glad to save thee from contempt for thy new good humour, as I used to try to do for thy old bad nature. Is that it? What a kind sister have I! But I see it vexes you, and ill-natured folks love to tease, you know. But... Dear Polly, don't let the affection Mr. Murray expresses for me put such a good-tempered body out of humour. Pray don't. Who knows, continued the provoker, who never says a tolerable thing that is not ill-natured, but the gentleman may be happy that he has found a way with so much ease to dispense with the difficulty that eldership laid him under. But, as he did you the favour to let the repulse come from you, don't be angry, sister that he took you at the first word. Indeed, said I, 
with a contemptuous smile. Thou art in the right, Nancy, to take the gentleman at his first word. Hold him fast, and play over all thy monkey tricks with him, with all my heart. Who knows, but it may engage him more? For should he leave thee, I might be too much provoked at thy ingratitude to turn over another gentleman to thee. And let me tell thee, without such an introduction, thy temper would keep anybody from thee that knows it. Poor Miss Polly! Come, be as easy as you can. Who knows, but we may find out some cousin or friend of Mr. Murray's between us, that we may persuade to address you? Don't make us your enemies. We'll try to make you easy, if we can. Tis a little hard that you should be so cruelly taken at your word that it is. Dost think, said I, poor, stupid, ill-judging Nancy, that I can have the same regret for parting with a man I couldn't like, that thou hadst, when thy vain hopes met with the repulse they deserved from Mr. B? Mr. B come up again? I've not heard of him a great while. No, but it was necessary that one nail should drive out another, for thou'dst been repining still had not Mr. Murray been turned over to thee. Turned over? You used that word once before. Such great wits as you, methinks, should not use the same word twice. How dost thou know what wits should or should not do? Thou hast no talent but ill nature, and this enough of thee, that one few takes up thy whole thought. Pursue that. But I would only caution thee, not to satiate where thou wouldst obliged. That's all. Or, if thy man can be so gross as to like thy fondness, to leave something for hereafter. I call him in again, sister, and you shall acquaint us how you'd have it. Bell, for the maid came in just then, tell Mr. Mary I desire him to walk in. I'm glad to see thee so teachable all at once. I find now what was the cause of thy constant perverseness, for had the unavailing lessons my mamma was always inculcating into thee come from a man, thou couldst have had hopes of they had succeeded better. In came Sir Simon with his crutch-stick. But can you bear this nonsense, Mrs. B? What sparing, jangling again, you sluts! Oh, what fiery eyes on one side and contemptuous looks on t'other! Why, papa, my sister Polly has turned over Mr. Murray to me, and she wants him back again, and he won't come. That's all the matter. You know Nancy, papa, never could bear reproof, and yet would always deserve it. It was only gently remarking for her instruction on a fondness before company, and she is as she used to be. Courtship. Indeed, is a new thing to the poor girl, and so she knows not how to behave herself in it. So, Polly, because you have been able to run over a long list of humble servants, you must insult your sister, must you? But are you really concerned, Polly? Hey! Sir, this or anything is very well from you, but these imputations of envy before Mr. Murray must make the man very considerable with himself. Poor Nancy don't consider that, but, indeed, how should she? How should she be able to reflect, who knows not what reflection is, except of the spiteful sort? But, papa, 
should the poor thing add to his vanity, which wants no addition, at the expense of that bride, which can only preserve her from contempt? I saw her affected, and was resolved to pursue my advantage. Pray thee, Nancy, continued I, canst thou not have a little patience, child? My papa will set the day as soon as he shall think it proper, and don't let thy man toil to keep pace with thy fondness, for I have pitied him many a time, when I have seen him stretched on the tenters to keep thee in countenance. This set the ill-natured girl in tears and fretfulness. All her old temper came upon her, as I designed it should, for she had kept me at bay longer than usual, and I left her under the dominion of it, and because I wouldn't come into fresh dispute, got my mamma's leave and went into the chariot to bag a dinner at Lady Jones's, and then came home as cool and as easy as I used to be, and found Nancy as sullen and silent, as was her custom, before Mr. Murray tendered himself to her ready acceptance. But I went to my spinet, and suffered her to swell on. We have said nothing but no and yes ever since, and I wish I was with you for a month, and all the nonsense over without me. I am, my dear, obliging and excellent Mrs. B., your faithful and affectionate Polly Darnford. The two following anticipating the order of time, for the reasons formerly mentioned, we insert here. End of letter 34